actually our worship team, I hope, on a regular basis. Um, but uh, for Rui Kathleen to not mail it in today and say, you know what, we don't have power, we can't be on the team. Um, I just appreciate that, and I just wanted to celebrate that. <clears throat> Um, some of you will understand what I'm about to say. For others of you, uh, sorry you missed out. But um, after Dr. Patton's presentation on Friday, I'm a little reluctant to say this, uh, but today I invite you to think with me about the example of the shepherds. Um, <clears throat> I will not do anywhere near as dramatic of a presentation as he did. <laughs> And that stuns none of you, because uh, that's just not where I come from. Uh, but it was awesome. Um, but I do find it amazing to realize how a few of the people who experienced the first Christmas were radically transformed, while so many others were completely unfazed. And I think it's always a good idea to set aside how familiar we how familiar we are with the story and just step back for a moment as dr patton challenged us and use our imaginations and just think about which of the groups we most closely re- resemble on a day-to-day basis would my life be one of those who has clearly been changed forever in a dramatic fashion because of the Christmas story? Or would my life be one that just said, oh, okay, Christmas? Because as Christ followers, that message is a part of the essence of who we are. And it should also be something that changes who we are and what we do on a daily basis. It's not just Christmas. It's all the time. The story is familiar, but it never gets old. In Luke chapter 2, and this will just be a boring reading, not a dramatic presentation. Um, <laughs> your imagination will have to fill in the blanks and provide the drama. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David has been born to you... Excuse me. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared to the, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. What would it take? 
I've asked it two weeks in a row. I'm asking it this week, and I'm going to ask it again next week, and I'm going to ask it again Christmas Eve. What would it take for our lives to be different because we believe that story is true? What did it take for the shepherds? First, they had to overcome their fears. You know, again, Luke chapter 2, those first, you know, those verses 8 through 10 talk about the angel showing up. It talks about them being terrified. It talks about the angel attempting to reassure them. That's like the person who just scared the daylights out of you telling you to calm down. It doesn't usually work that simply. But again, to the best of your ability, try to imagine what that must have been like in that moment. Some of us are more prone to being afraid of the dark than others. Some of us have a much higher startle factor than others. So we're all going to process that differently. But just think about the most frightened you have ever been in your life. It may have been the instant before a major automobile crash. It may have been in the midst of a significant confrontation or a physical altercation. Have you ever been paralyzed by fear to where you just got the deer in the headlights? I don't know what to do. Or do you feel like the squirrel in the middle of the road that can't decide which way it's going to go as you're bearing down on it and you know what's going to happen and... But the most afraid you've ever been in your life. I, as I thought about that, I thought about an experience. <clears throat> Some of you know my mom died uh, when I was 19. So I was a young adult, but I was still living at home uh, with my dad. <clears throat> and after he had processed his grief, he went back to work. And he worked the night shift. And, and we lived in the country. I, I was never afraid living in the country. That was normal to me. <clears throat> But dad's working the night shift, and one night I'm a home alone because he's at work, and it's, you know, it's, you know, 12.30, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, so it's dark. And in our home, our front door was locked. We had a sliding glass door that was locked, and the door going into our garage, why this had it, but the other doors didn't, the door going into our garage coming into the house had one of those chain locks on it. All right, so it's I'm sound asleep. It's the middle of the night, and you know how that feeling where you think you heard something. You know, you just you're all of a sudden you're awake, and you think you hear something, and I'm I'm listening, and that sound it makes when someone opens a door against one of those chain locks. I'm upstairs in my bedroom. This is downstairs in the family room. I hear that kachunk, and it's like. What do I do? And there was that moment in time where I just froze. I'd like to tell you that it was really short, but I, to be honest with you, I had no long, idea how long I laid there. My dad had come home from work in the middle of the night, didn't think that it would be a good idea to call and tell me he was coming. Um, so it was a teachable moment for both of us. But anyway... <laughs> But but just, again, if you'd never, ever, ever heard this story and you were out in the dark with a group of friends and something as bizarre as an angel showing up and talking to you in the dark, 
What do you think it took for them to overcome their fear in that moment? What would it take for you to overcome your fear and drastically change how you live in response to God's call on your life? What would it take? If it's going to take an angel showing up in the middle of a dark night when you're out in the middle of nowhere, I can't promise you that that's going to happen. I can't promise you that it won't happen because God's going to do what God's going to do. But I don't know anybody else that's had that happen to them. But I know lots of people who have felt God's call upon their life in some way, shape, or form and made significant changes in spite of their fear. What did it take for them? I can't begin to tell you. But I think every one of us needs to wrestle with it for ourselves. What would it take for me to overcome my fear? It may be something simple that God's asking you to do. It may be something incredibly out there. But what would it take? In addition, overcoming their fears, they also wrestled with their doubts. Now understand, I'm going to go through a list of things. They didn't have answers to any of these things before they took their first step. Now most of you know, I said it last week, I am what you would classify as risk averse. And that I avoid risk. Stuns none of you whatsoever. If you want me to take a step, I at least like to see where I'm going to land. I'd prefer to know three or four more steps down the road before I take one. But the shepherds didn't have that luxury. Some of the doubts they must have had is, what if we don't survive this angelic encounter? I'm pretty confident, I can't document this scripturally, but I'm pretty confident that none of those shepherds knew anybody who had ever had an angel show up in the middle of the sky in the middle of a dark night and live to talk about it. Because they probably didn't know anybody who'd ever had it happen. But there there has to be a point in time at which they're thinking, is it time to go toward the light? Is this the end for us? What if we don't survive? Or what if this angelic encounter isn't real? Because we all know Steve cooked tonight and he's questionable when it comes to his cooking. Maybe we're having a group hallucination because somebody put something in the beans that they shouldn't have. But you have to, have you ever had that experience where you see something that you've never seen before and you're thinking, Did I really see that? I grew up in this general vicinity my whole life. I was outdoors as much as I possibly could be. We were living in Albion, and I think it was even before the church was here, but maybe not. I'm driving down Irwin Avenue, kind of dusk 30. You know, it's not dark, but it's not light. And I see something run across the road in front of me. And I think... It looked like a fox. But it wasn't a fox because foxes are red. 
I'd gone my entire life without knowing that we had gray foxes around here. And I didn't tell anybody till I found some way to confirm that they really were around. What if, what if it's not real? What if we go there? Okay, okay, we've survived. We've determined that this really did happen. We've talked about it, and it's like, you, you did see that, right? Yeah, I saw that. You did hear that. Yep, I heard that. Let's go check it out. But what if we get there and there's nothing there? Somehow they moved forward in spite of that doubt. What if the sheep aren't there when we get back? What if we get there and we show up and this new dad and this new mom say, who are you and what makes you think you can come see our baby? Because you're just a bunch of stinky shepherds. Oh, it's okay because an angel showed up in the sky and told us to come. Oh, well, come right in. See my baby. Seriously? Why risk that, any of that, and go? It says they talked about it when they left. What if no one believes our story? Have you ever told a story and you can tell the person doesn't believe you? They're smiling and they're nodding your head, their head, and you know that you know they don't believe a word you're saying. What if we go? They let us in. We see the baby. And the baby isn't really the Christ child, the Messiah, the Savior. Because I don't think Jesus had credentials with him. I don't think he had a, a savior card that he could say, here's my business card. I carry pocket credentials that says I'm officially a minister. You know, it's like just a piece of paper that I copied off. But it, it, it's, I mean, that's, that's what they tell us to do. It wasn't, I just created it. But anyway, but I, I don't, I don't get it. So here's the question. You knew it was coming. What do you think it took? For them to move forward in spite of their doubts. What was it about that moment that prompted them to say, you know what? Sounds like a good idea. What would it take for you to move forward with God in spite of your doubts? What would it take? What would it take right now for you to make changes that you look back in a couple years and say, you know, Christmas in 2021, I experienced God in a fashion that I've never been the same since. What would it take? Can I tell you what it, what's not going to do it? My preaching. What's not going to do it? Our worship team's awesome. That's not going to do it. It's you having a real, personal, life-changing encounter on a daily basis with Jesus Christ. So they overcame their fears. They worked through their doubts.
and they also adapted their priorities. I don't know a lot about shepherds, and I know even less about sheep. But on the night the angel showed up, the shepherds, in all probability, had three simple priorities. It's nighttime. Their first priority was a good meal, because they'd worked all day. Their second priority was probably a good night's sleep. And their third priority was taking care of the sheep. Pretty simple deal. They'd done it night after night after night after night. I can't say this for sure, but I think there's probably a very strong likelihood that the shepherds in this story were shepherds in part because their fathers were shepherds. And quite possibly because their fathers before that were shepherds. And therefore, regardless of the age of these shepherds, they had probably spent their entire adult life consumed with making sure that the sheep under their care were safe and healthy. That's what they did. 24-7. Make sure the sheep could find food. Make sure the sheep could find water. Make sure nobody messed with the sheep. Predators, people, that's pretty much their priorities. But the moment the sky lit up, all those priorities were called into question. Who can eat when they're terrified? Think about it. I asked you earlier, think about the time you were most frightened in your life. How many of you in that moment thought, man, I could use a good cheeseburger? <laughs> right? Let's call Hungry Howie's, all right? I mean, in that moment, if an angel shows up and then has to tell you, don't wet your pants, it's going to be okay, you're probably not thinking you need a snack. Now, once the adrenaline crash comes, yeah, then you're probably going to be really hungry. But... That's the first priority. Uh, who can sleep? I, I know some of you can sleep in a lot of situations, but who can sleep when a great company of the heavenly host fills the sky singing God's praises? Now, I know some of you can sleep when I'm talking because I see it, and I don't call you out for it, but I notice. I'm just saying. But this is a little step above that, all right? I doubt very much that that priority of a good night's sleep mattered at all in that moment. <clears throat> so, that leaves the other priority. Do we obey the call of God or stick with what we've always known? Because that's where the shepherds were in that moment. You've always known what you've always known. But we're asking you to experience something different. What do you think it would take for them to adapt their priorities and follow God's lead? What was it about that moment that says, everything I've been trained to do my whole life is stay here and protect the sheep. And now I'm going to abandon all of that because some angel showed up and told me to do something really bizarre. What, what would it take inside of us?
What would it take for you or I to say, I'm going to totally rearrange my priorities in order to follow God's lead? Now, I would hope you can't answer those questions. But I would also hope you would ask yourself those questions. So after they adapted their priorities, they also accepted their calling. Now hear me well. Their profession was shepherd. Their calling was come and see, go and tell. As I look at what the story in Luke tells us, at no point did he say, y'all got to stop being shepherds. What did it take for them to live a come and see, go and tell lifestyle following the first Christmas? Now, understand, in that moment, they didn't have all the answers. Probably none of it made sense to them. In that moment, they didn't have a master's degree in theology. But yet, they were changed. We don't know if they went back to being shepherds or not. Perhaps they went on the talk show circuit and uh, became motivational speakers. But I doubt it. It says initially people were intrigued, curious about what they had to say. But we don't know how people really responded to their message. Was anybody else changed because some shepherd showed up and said, Hey, we saw this baby and we saw angels and we saw all this and it was just like they said. It was amazing. Oh, that's a great story. I mean, you can tell me a great story. You can tell me, you know, Mike can tell me, yeah, I went down to such and such a lake and I fished here and I caught a boatload of fish. And I'll say, man, that's awesome, Mike. Doesn't mean I'm going to go home and hook up my boat and go fishing. I don't know how people responded. And you know what? The shepherds didn't care. They said, here's what happened. It blew our minds. Deal with it. Do with it what you will. Remember, when you think about the shepherds going and telling everybody what happened, remember, it was 30 years before most everybody else figured out who Jesus was, and even then, many people, most people, wouldn't accept it. So I doubt that very many people heard what the shepherds had to say and said, wow, that's awesome, I'm going to change my life. But it didn't stop them from telling people what had happened. We don't know what happened. We don't know how people responded. We know that they didn't have all the answers. I mean, imagine having that conversation. You know, uh, an angel showed up and, and told me that this child was there and this child was the savior of the world and, and everything's going to be better now. And they ask one question. Well, how do you know? Well, it's obvious an angel told me. Well, why didn't the angel tell me? How, how do you know? Seriously. Do you know where this kid's from? Do you know who his parents were? Well, his parents were standing there. Well, what are their names? I don't know what their names are. Do you know if they're fulfilling prophecy? I don't know. I don't, I'm a shepherd. I don't know. They didn't have the answers. 
at least not all of them, they could just say, here's what happened. In spite of that, we're told clearly in Scripture, they went away freely telling people what they had experienced and how it changed them. And I have to believe they talked about it for the rest of their lives. How many of you have heard me tell the same story more than once? All of you can raise your hand. All right. Unless it's your first time here and you get a pass. But if something, I mean, if something significant happens in our life, and, and if we're good at it, the story just keeps getting better because we just add to it, all right? Because most of the time now, if I talk about the early days of the church, Spence is the only one who can call it, stand up and say, you're telling a lie. It didn't happen that way. And Spence just wouldn't do that. All right. I have to believe that the shepherds talked about that for the rest of their lives. So, you know where I was going. What would it take for you to live a come and see, go and tell lifestyle? Following this Christmas, what would it take? Some of you know this, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Fast forward. Jesus is an adult. Jesus is teaching publicly. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is sentenced to die. Jesus is killed on the cross, all to pay the penalty for our sins. He rises forth from the grave, triumphant over sin and death. And he spends 40-some days just hanging out with his followers to encourage them. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before he ascends into heaven, he tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that you can regularly live a come and see, go and tell lifestyle. So my question is, what have you experienced? And who have you told? Come and see, go and tell. And, and understand, when I say come and see, go and tell, it's not just about church attendance, all right? It's about telling people that your life has been changed by the message of Christ. And I warned him I was going to pick on him. Some of you know Jimmy Dillon, some of you don't. Just raise your hand for you, Jim. You don't have to stand up. All right, that's Jim, all right? I've not asked Jim this, but I'm pretty sure Jim doesn't have a master's degree in theology. All right. I'm pretty sure Jim would tell you he's still trying to figure out this church stuff. All right. But what I can tell you that in the past six months, maybe eight months, I'm not sure there's been anybody who's brought more folks to church with them than Jim. Because through... Diane and D.L. Patton, Jim began to experience Christ in a different way through this church. He chose to be baptized at our men's meeting. And I, I, I don't know if I've told Jim this, maybe he heard me say it, but I thought we were baptizing Jim. You know, we're just going to have a kind of little men's group huddle and going to baptize Jim. And the day of the baptism, I hear Jim's bringing 20 people with him. I wasn't expecting 20 people total. Shame on me, all right? 
But, but Jim said, I assuming he said something to get those people there. I'm guessing it had something to do with something was happening. He experienced something and he wanted to share it. And since that time, he continues to bring people to church with him. Can I just say this? Way more folks than I'm bringing to church every Sunday. Come and see. Go and tell. What have you experienced and who have you told? We have a great inclination to think we've got to get it all figured out. Hopefully by now you've figured you've seen me for what I am and you understand that after 40 years I'm still trying to figure it out. And I'll be trying to figure it out till the day that I die. Hallelujah, once I die I will have it all figured out. But not before then. If we wait till we have it all figured out and we wait till we have all of our ducks in a row, the ducks are all going to be dead. Come and see, go and tell, what have you experienced and who have you told? Pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for your message. And I thank you that we don't have to figure it out. We don't have to figure anything out. We just have to experience what you have for us, understand it in the moment, and be willing to tell people. Come and see, go and tell. Father, I don't know what it would take for any of us to come to that point. It's different for each one of us. It's probably not going to be the heavenly host singing God's praises on a dark night. It may be that still small voice that whispers to us. It may be the assurance of a friend or a trusted counselor. But Father, I believe with my whole heart that you want all of us to experience enough of you that we're motivated to come and see. Come and see what that child has for us. Come and see what the empty tomb has for us. And I believe with my whole heart, Father, in our own way, each of us in our own unique way, you want us to go and tell. It doesn't have to be like anybody else, but just say, hey, I, I don't understand it. But when I go to church, things feel different. I don't understand it. When I pray, things seem to get better. I don't understand it. When I hurt, I hurt just a little bit less. I don't understand it when I don't feel like even taking the next step. I can somehow find a way to take the next step. Father, help all of us to come and see and be transformed by what we see and help all of us to be willing to then go and tell. Here's what I saw, and here's how I'm different. I thank you, Father. Amen.